0: About eight years ago, Samantha and I became homeowners, and we did what most people do, and we bought a starter home, a smaller home that we could afford, and it was a great home for us, but uh, like every home, it came with its own issues, and one time, we had this issue that came up where any time we would walk into the kitchen, we started to smell something funky. And so we didn't think too much of it. It wasn't real bad at the very beginning, uh, but every now and then there would just be like a foul smell when anytime we'd walk into the kitchen. So our natural thought was, well, you know, we have a garbage disposal. Maybe there's some food stuck in there and it's just kind of stinking. And so we get online and we start searching, you know, how to, how to properly clean out your drain and your garbage disposal, and, you know, all of this stuff. And so we're trying every single thing that's being recommended to us online and the smell's still there still keeps coming. And so we, we then started to think, well, maybe it's got to be the dishwasher and maybe there's food particles stuck in the dishwasher and that's causing the smell that just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And so we did the same thing and we started figuring out ways to clean your dishwasher and ways to deep clean it and figure out how to get every last food particle out of that dishwasher. And it didn't work. The smell was still there. So one of the things that I had come across in all of this Googling is that maybe there was a broken vent pipe in your wall that's venting the, the gases from your, uh, your drainage system, uh, your plumbing. And so I started looking around the house, and sure enough, I found that we had a vent Lost it. Oh, we're back. That is that electric of a story. Sure enough, I found that we had a vent pipe that ran right behind the wall in the kitchen and was vented out through the roof. And this vent pipe was made out of cast iron. And if you're familiar with cast iron, it tends to rust over time. And this was an older house. Like I said, it was a starter home, one we could afford. And so one Saturday, I was a brave soul and I took a cabinet off the wall. And then I cut a hole in the drywall. And I found the culprit. This cast iron vent pipe going right up through the wall. And sure enough, there was a coupling right there where I I could see it. And on the top pipe that was screwed into the coupling, it was rusted like crazy, right there at at the threads. And so there was a gap that these awful smells were coming out and they were coming through the wall somehow and it it would cause this awful stench. And so I find myself with a cabinet off the wall, a giant hole in our drywall and having no idea how to actually fix this problem. And so I was worried, I was stressed. So I finally called a man who worked construction his entire adult life and thankfully his response was, give me about 30 minutes and I'll be there. So he comes over and I'm worried thinking that, you know, our house is about to be condemned. Like this is the worst thing ever. It's not fixable. This is a terrible situation. And within minutes of this man showing up, he's got all the tools he needs. He knows exactly what he needs to do in order to get this thing fixed. And within no time, he had it fixed. He had the drywall patched and he had the cabinet back on the wall. And to me, that was a huge sigh of relief. Because before he had showed up, I'm thinking this is the worst thing I've ever experienced in home ownership. I'm just gonna sell this house. I'm just gonna rent for the rest of my life because this is not worth dealing with. You all know how it feels when you feel overwhelmed in the moment. You're thinking through all of these awful decisions that you're gonna make, but you're not thinking logically because you're so consumed by this issue that's in front of you at the moment. And I think oftentimes there are things in life that make us feel that way. Maybe it's watching the news and seeing all the things that are happening either here in our country or all over the world, but there are things happening that cause us to be uneasy and they make us feel like things are out of control. And one of the things that the book of Revelation does, it is meant to do for us as believers, it is, it is to remind us that God is actually in complete control. And while circumstances around us may seem like they're out of control, God actually has everything right where he intends it to be. And that's one of the things that I want us to see from our passage this morning here in Revelation chapter 9. We are going to look at verses 1 through 12 of Revelation 9. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open with me if you're not already. And we're going to read these verses together. Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, says this And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, "'Their faces were like human faces, "'their hair like women's hair, "'and their teeth like lion's teeth. "'They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, "'and the noise of their wings "'was like the noise of many chariots "'with horses rushing into battle. "'They have tails and stings like scorpions, "'and their power to hurt people for five months "'is in their tails. "'And they have a king over them, "'the angel of the bottomless pit.' His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Now, we read that passage, and we probably think, what in the world? Some strange things here, and I remember Josh mentioning just a few weeks ago that sometimes we read the book of Revelation, and we come away more confused than when we started, and we're just so unsure about all of the things that are happening here, but like I said, I want you to see this morning that God is in complete control. While it may seem like there is chaos abounding everywhere, I want you to see that God is absolutely in complete control, and before we get specifically into the, the issues here in this passage, I want to back up just a little bit. And I want to zoom out and see a little bit more of the context in which we find our passage because I think that will help us see this control that God has. Back at the beginning of chapter 8, we see that the seventh seal is opened. Look with me back at the beginning of chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So here's this idea that this angel has incense that he's about to offer on the altar, and mixed with the incense are the prayers of the saints. And the smoke... From that offering is coming up to God. Okay, so God is hearing the cries or the prayers of his people. Now, way back in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, we have a story that Matt read from for our, our, our uh, scripture reading this morning, where God delivers his people, the Israelites, who are slaves in Egypt, and he delivers them out of Egypt. And he does it by bringing about these 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt. And there are a lot of similarities between what God does in Exodus to the Egyptians and what we see here in Revelation. And I want to point out these similarities so that you can see how similar they really are. Back in Exodus chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. Chapter 2 verses 23 to 25 says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So the way it begins in Exodus is God's people have been crying out for God to rescue them from slavery. And we see here in chapter two that God hears the cries of his people and then God acts. God brings about the plagues on the nation of Egypt. Now, that's how it starts in Exodus two. We see that similar language here in Revelation eight. The prayers of the saints are being offered on an altar and the smoke of that is coming before God. So God is hearing the cries of his people. Let's make sure we are reminded this morning that when we cry out to God in prayer, he hears us. He hears the prayers of his people. But then, if you look down, starting in verse seven, we have the first of these seven trumpets. And verse seven says, the angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. Well, if you look back to chapter, seven of, uh, chapter nine of Exodus, the seventh plague, the seventh plague is hail and fire Okay, you see similar things happening, okay? In verse eight and following, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. Well, back in Exodus chapter seven, the first plague, the Nile is turned into blood and fish die, Okay, there's another similarity there. The next uh, trumpet that is blown begins in verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a star, a great star, fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the waters because it had been made bitter. Also in the first plague, when the Nile is turned into blood, we also see that the rivers and the canals are filled with blood. Then we see in the fourth, beginning in verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. The ninth plague in Egypt, which you can read about in chapter 10, is three days of darkness on the nation of Egypt. Then we get to our passage here, chapter nine. We're not gonna reread the whole thing, but we see, if you were paying attention, that it's an army of locusts that is being released from the bottomless pit, and they're coming to wreak havoc on those who are on the earth. And you can read... Two, really two things here in Exodus. You've got the, uh, the ninth plague, which is darkness, but also the eighth plague, which happens right before it, is an army of locusts. And that's the passage that Matt read for the scripture reading this morning. Very similar things happening here, but two more things I want you to see. The next passage, starting in verse 13, the next trumpet. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying, the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So you've got these angels being released and their goal is to kill a third of mankind. Well, the plagues in Exodus back in the book of Exodus, culminate in the 10th plague, which is the angel of death killing the firstborn of anyone who has not slain the, the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. There are a lot of similarities happening here, but one more thing I want you to see. Look forward to chapter 10 in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 10, verse one says this. Then I saw... Another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Listen to this. Listen to what the Bible says after God's people had been delivered from slavery out of Egypt. This is Exodus 13, verses 21 and following. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So after all these plagues in Egypt, God leads his people by day pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire and in chapter 10 verse 1 of revelation we see an angel coming wrapped in a cloud with legs like pillars of fire i don't think there's any mistake that all the things that have been revealed to john and all the things that he has written and recorded are meant to be so similar to what we read in exodus so that it makes us think wow I've seen this before. Because here's the big difference between Revelation and Exodus. Oftentimes when we we read Revelation, like I just said, we come away being more confused and maybe feeling less encouraged than when we started. But for whatever reason, we don't feel that way about the Exodus. We can go back to the book of Exodus and we read it and we are given the point of view that we just see that God is at work in all the different plagues We see that there's communication between God and Moses and Moses and Pharaoh. And so we just think that all the plagues happening are just perfectly normal. Whereas consider the average Israelite who's probably not privy to all of those other conversations and they don't understand all the things that are happening. Maybe they've heard a little bit about it, but they are here seeing armies of locusts attack the the Egyptian country and spare them. They're seeing giant hail come and destroy all of the crop and all of the cattle, and they are spared. Life is probably real chaotic for someone living in the midst of that. See, it's easy to read about it when we're separated from it and think, okay, I see God's in control of the exodus, God's in control of the plagues, it makes perfect sense, And I think what we should see here in Revelation is that just as God was in control back in Exodus, God's in control right now. God is in control over these trumpets that are being blown. God is in control over all the things that are happening when the trumpets are blown. And I want you to see specifically that God is in control of this trumpet here, the fifth trumpet in chapter nine. We begin looking at verse One, we see that there's a a star fallen from heaven to earth, and this star is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, there's a lot of question about, well, who is this star? Most people agree that it is Satan. If you look... um, Forward to Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, it says this. It says that great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So it's the similar imagery that he's being thrown down to the earth, kind of like what we see here. But also in Luke chapter 10, Jesus had just sent out the 72 disciples and they had returned and they were telling him that even the spirits are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And it's this similar picture that we see right here in Revelation chapter nine. And so we believe that this star falling from heaven is in fact Satan. Now, Also in verse 1, we read that he is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So he is given the key. Now, who gives him the key? Well, back in chapter 1, when John is is seeing a, a vision of the Son of Man, Jesus himself says, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death, and Hades. Jesus himself is the one who has the keys, and now we see that the keys are given to Satan. You see, it may seem crazy to us to think, wow, why would Jesus give him the keys? But again, we are reminded that God is in complete control. Satan is not acting on his own accord. He's not able to do anything that he's not being allowed to do. He's not able to open the the bottomless pit if Jesus doesn't give him the key. God is in control. Look forward at verse three. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power, like the power of the scorpions on earth. These scorpions, I'm sorry, not the scorpions, the locusts, they do not have power in and of themselves. It has to be given to them. Verse 4 They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They are given power, and then they're immediately told what their power enables them to do. You cannot harm the green plants of the earth or the trees, or the grass. You can only harm those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. See, they're given power, and their power is extremely limited. Verse five. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. Again, their power is to torment They are given that ability. They're given the ability to torment them, but it's limited to only five months. This is not unlimited power given to the locusts. It is very limited. And they cannot kill anyone. They don't have the power to do that. So as we're reading this, I want you to see there is no struggle between good and evil. I hear a lot of people say that. There is not a struggle between good and evil. God is in absolute control of everything that's happening with the trumpets in general, but with this trumpet in particular as well. And for everything that we see happening in the world around us, we need to be reminded that God's in control of it. Now, Satan's the one who opens the, key to the, the, opens the bottomless pit and the smoke and the locusts come out But he's not able to do that apart from God giving him the key. God is in absolute, complete control of all things. And just like I said, when that man showed up to help me fix that broken pipe in the wall, that was a huge relief to me. And when we are reminded to filter everything that we see going on in the world through the lens of God is in complete control. That takes a weight off. That helps us not be so stressed or so anxious about all of these different things. We know that God's in control and just as we saw him deliver his people in Egypt, he's doing the same thing now. He is delivering his people from this fallen, broken, sinful world that we are living in. God... Is in complete control. Which leads us to the next point that I want you to see is this true nature of Satan. The true nature of Satan. Beginning in verse 7, we have a description of what these locusts look like, and it's not pretty we see in verse seven that they are like horses prepared for battle. They have what looks like crowns on their head. Their faces are like human faces. Verse eight tells us that they have hair like women's hair and they have teeth like lion's teeth. Verse nine tells us that they have breastplates on so they are prepared for battle. They have wings that make noise like chariots and horses rushing into battle. Verse 10 tells us that they have tails and their tails have the ability to sting like a scorpion. And then verse 11 tells us that they have a king over them who is the angel of the bottomless pit. Now you may be wondering, what in the world does any of that tell us about the, the nature of Satan? Satan. Well, the nature of Satan is that he's a fraud. Satan is a fraud. He is going to try and take what God has done and twist it and pervert it and make it something different in order to lead people astray. Now, how do I get that from this? Turn back to Revelation chapter four. And in Revelation chapter four, we have this vision of heaven. And we see something in heaven that's unique. It's interesting. Starting in verse six, really the second part of verse six. There may be a paragraph break in your Bible. And around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is what the four living creatures around the throne are doing. There are some similarities in the descriptions, such as, the first one looks like a lion, well, these locusts have teeth like a lion. Okay? There's a little, little similarity there. The third of these creatures around the throne has a face like a man. And we're told that these locusts have faces like human faces. So there's some similarity there. We are told that they have six wings, and they're full of eyes all around. And we're also told that the locusts have wings, and so they're able to fly. But the sound of their wings sounds like chariots and horses rushing into battle. But most importantly, what are the creatures around the throne doing? Night and day, they never cease to worship. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They are worshipers that for all time, forever, they never cease to worship the Lord because he is on the throne and he is the king. Now what do we see about these locusts? In verse 11, they have as what? King over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. You see what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to establish himself as a king with those like the the creatures around the throne, but he is surrounded with an army of locusts that worship him. They have what looks like crowns on their head. They are worshiping Satan, the king or the angel of the bottomless pit, in an effort to duplicate what God has already done. Satan is a fraud. He sees what God is doing. He tries to mimic it so that he can lead people astray and get people to think that he is the king worthy of worship instead of Christ. But he is a fraud. He is not the real thing. He is not worthy of worship. Here in just a few chapters, you're gonna see that Satan's gonna try and counterfeit something else that God has done. Notice in verse uh, five, verse four rather, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God's people are sealed. And God has put limits on the locusts and what they're able to do, and they are not able to harm God's people. Well, in chapter 13, we're going to read about the mark of the beast. And guess what the mark of the beast is? It's a mark on Satan's people. And that if you don't have the mark of the beast... Your life will be hard. It will be increased difficulty on you if you don't have the mark, such as what we see here. If you do not have the mark, you are feeling the effects of this judgment. You cannot escape the sting of these locusts. Once again, Satan is going to try and mimic what God is doing in an effort to lead people astray. Don't buy it. Commentator James Hamilton says, the best that Satan can do is twist something that God has created good. That's the way Satan tempts us too. Everything that tempts us is a twisted, perverse, satanic corruption of something that God has meant for us to enjoy. We must fight the lure of temptation by trusting that God means for us to enjoy the real thing in his way at his time. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about Satan a little bit. And here's what he says. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and following. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is to no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. See, the difference between God and his people that he has sealed and Satan and the people that he has sealed is that God will protect and deliver his people, whereas Satan is only going to torment and kill his people you don't want to follow Satan. He's a fraud. He cannot offer what God has to offer, which is forgiveness of sins, which is salvation, which is eternal life. He can only make it look like he can offer these things, but he will always fall short. Lastly, I want you to see that there is deliverance from this judgment. There is deliverance from this judgment. We read in this passage here that this judgment is going to be bad. Verse five tells us that there's gonna be torment with stings like scorpions. Now, I've never been stung by a scorpion. I don't really want to be, but I imagine that it's bad and it's not enjoyable and it's not something that you wanna go through again if you've already experienced that. That's what this will be like. Verse six tells us that people will want to die, but they won't, they can't. Death will flee from them. This judgment is not going to be good. It will not be enjoyable. And there's only one way that this passage tells us to escape the judgment. And that's to be sealed by God on the forehead. Now we're not talking about a literal seal talking about God has his people and he will protect them. To have the seal of God means that we belong to him. Revelation chapter one, verses five and six says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. What it means to belong to Jesus is that he loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. If that's you, you are God's, you have been sealed by him you will be protected by him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now this passage here in Revelation, all about all of these locusts, it's very similar to what we read about with the Exodus plagues, but there's another small little book in the Old Testament that talks all about locusts and an invasion of locusts. That's the small minor prophet of Joel. Now you may be thinking it's almost noon already and he's just now mentioning a new book. This won't be long, I promise. You don't need to turn to the book of Joel, but I want you to listen to what the the book of Joel says. I'll read this for you. Joel begins by saying this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are like lion's teeth. And it has the fangs of a lioness. Joel is prophesying about a judgment that is to come upon Israel because of their disobedience. And he says it's going to be an army of locusts. And they're going to have teeth like lion's teeth. What does Revelation say in chapter 9, verse 8? Their teeth are like lion's teeth. But that's not it. In Joel 2, He says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, like there has never been before, nor will be ever again throughout all their generations, clouds. Thick darkness, we read in Revelation, right? it all begins by Joel saying, sound the trumpet, send the alarm. Revelation 9 starts with, the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Verse two of Revelation chapter nine, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and there rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened. Sounds very similar to what Joel is prophesying about. But again, in Joel chapter two, we see their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, they run. As the rumbling of chariots, they leap on top of mountains like crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. And in Revelation, we are told that they are like horses prepared for battle and that the noise of their wings is like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. It's no mistake that whatever Joel is prophesying about in the book of Joel and whatever we read here in Revelation chapter nine, it's not a coincidence that there's so many similarities. I believe Joel was prophesying about what we read in Revelation 9. But listen to what Joel says next. This is Joel chapter two, starting in verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. For he who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. That's what the prophet Joel says. See, Joel is saying, hey, there is judgment coming on the nation of Israel because you all have been disobedient. And in the middle of all of it, he says, yet even now, declares the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart. Return to me with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, Tear your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You see, the only escape for this judgment in Revelation is to have the seal of God, meaning to belong to him, to be his. And in the middle of Joel's prophecy about a coming army of locusts, That so similarly is explained the way it's explained here in Revelation. He says, yet even now, it is not too late to turn to the Lord. If you do not belong to him, if you do not have his seal on you, it is not too late. Like Josh said a few weeks ago, sometimes a judgment is a better wake-up call than just a warning. And he gave the example of the speeding on the highway. The warning is the speed limit sign. And when you see that, you usually pay no attention to it. But when the cop pulls you over, you're far more willing to obey that speed limit next time. This is not the final judgment. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. God desires that through these judgments, People would return to him. They would see Satan as the fraud that has nothing to offer, and they would see him as the lamb who was slain for all of their sins. That they would turn from their sins, that they would repent, and that they would believe in him. And the plea to you all is the same this morning as it was from Joel many, many, many decades ago. Yet, even now, turn to the Lord. Turn to him. Repent of your sins and trust in his forgiveness, which is offered through the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who was slain will protect you from these judgments. And ultimately, we know that our cries and our prayers are coming to him, and he will deliver us. Just as he did the Israelites in Egypt, God will deliver us too. Trust in him. Hope in him this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you. Thank you for an opportunity to open the book of Revelation and to see this judgment that is coming and to be warned that it is going to be bad. But to be reminded that it is not too late that if we have not turned to you, Yet even now is the time. God, help us to stay focused on you, to know that you're in control, to trust that your blood covers all of our sins. We thank you for for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name, amen.